I know this is most of y'all's first time. Evidently, this is my first time preaching as well. Um, so let me, let me do this before we jump into the sermon. If you do have a Bible, please grab one. If you don't own one, there should be one somewhere around you. There's going to be two passages that we're going to land in this morning, Acts 2 and John 14. Um, but before we get there, let me stop for a second. Um, as you guys have heard, this is a pretty historic day for us as a church um, because we are officially launching our first church plant, the Branch Church Millersville. Uh, and so one of the things that we really value here, I mean, we're three years old as a church and we're already planning a church. But one of the things that we really value is multiplication. So if you're part of the church plant pipeline, would you stand up for a second? So there should be 10 of you if you're obedient. Chloe, you can stand up. There you go. So these are all people that are going through our leadership pipeline to then be sent out and plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And we get to see the fruit of that this morning. So you guys can grab a seat. Um, so at 10.30, so just in a couple minutes, we're actually going to be able to get to Skype or FaceTime with the Branch Church Milledgeville and see their first gathering together as a church. Um, I keep getting texts, they're blowing up my phone, they might be at standing room only, which is just fantastic. Um, so let me give you a little history of how this started. When I first came up to plant, my wife and I, we came up to plant in January of 2014 and we launched in September of 2014. One of the first guys I met was a guy named Kyle. Um, now raise your hand if you know Kyle. Kyle's an idiot. Um, th it is true. If, just look at me. If anyone can plant a church, you, Kyle can plant a church, you can plant a church. It, it's, it's possible. Uh, but Kyle, over the last three years, has turned into my right-hand man. He's preaching for me. He was doing all the behind-the-scenes stuff. He's very type-A gifted, administrative gifted. Um, he's just been growing in his faith all the way along. Um, bro's 26. When I moved up here to plant the church, I was 26. So I know that church planting and this idea of multiplication seems like it's only something that 40, 50-year-olds can do. you got to like wear like a really nice suit. I can't afford a nice suit. Um, so what we're trying to do, and, and we'll dive into the scripture and explain it this morning, but what is the church? What does it mean to be the church? And what does it look like to multiply the church? So we have a vision that you'll start to hear about over and over and over again. Over the next decade, we want to see a network of 10 churches planted um, in and through us. So in the next next three to four years, our vision is to send half of you guys out and go plant again. The Branch Church of Milledgeville is going to do the same thing. And we're going to have multiplication going over and over and over again. And that is the vision that we feel like the Lord has given us. So um, we meet in a gym, right? We might always meet in a gym. If we have the opportunity to purchase a building or rent for cheap so that we can start more churches, I guarantee you we're going to stay portable so that we can plant more churches. Um, so let me kind of give a little snapshot of the Branch Milledgeville, and then hopefully they'll be calling soon. We'll throw them up on the screen, and we'll have fun celebrating with those guys. I want you to be loud. Can you be loud? I know, like, you guys, might, we are Southern Baptists. Don't tell anybody. I know most people, like, you, I don't know what church background you're coming from, but maybe you can't clap or talk or, like, that's not here. You can be as loud as you want to. Feedback in the sermon is appreciative. So if you want to laugh at my jokes, even if they're not funny, um, I do have four kids, so my dad jokes are coming in, like, phenomenally. So laugh at my jokes, have feedback, have fun. Uh, but there's a couple of guys, how Milledgeville started, there's a couple guys I discipled a long time ago as their youth pastor at First Baptist Alpharetta. Um, and those guys had went down to, she's from First Alpharetta. I'm not just pointing in the crowd, like, you know, like, oh. No, she's, she grew up there. And so um, they grew up there. We discipled them. They went to Milledgeville and started their own college ministry called FAM. Um, and from that, they've grown. All those guys graduated in May. Anyone from Milledgeville randomly? No. So they graduated. 
in, in May and decided, listen, we don't want to go anywhere else. We want to stay here. Uh, we want to see the church be the church within Millersville. Um, so we partnered up with those guys and merged in FAM and the branch merged into the branch church Millersville. And so let's see if we can get them on the phone. Sound good? Is this the strangest church I've ever to yet? As you can tell, we're a church plant. We don't have fancy equipment, so we use FaceTime. If he ignores my call, I'm going to be angry. What's going on? people we're about to do our welcome and we'll get going so check this out so we're packing it out full so let me snag bailey and then uh we'll get our welcome going if you guys want to go ahead and get us on mute and um let me grab bailey and we'll keep going thank you guys for tuning in and being here with us um let me go. hey bailey doesn't he look like a skinny jesus Sorry, yes thank you Hey, they're, they're ready for us. We're going to go up. So. Cool. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, you want to go ahead? Yeah. What's going on, guys? We good? If you guys want to come on in and grab a seat, welcome to the Branch Church Milledgeville. My name is Kyle. Uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. So you guys want to come on uh, for our core team. If uh, we need more seats, if our core team doesn't mind standing or sitting in the back here. Uh, but I want to introduce you here to Bailey Miller. Uh, he's our college director here. Uh, he's going to open us up uh, this morning. Hey, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, like you said, if you need a seat, grab them off the wall. Make sure you stand up. We're so, so glad y'all are here. I can't tell you how much we've been praying over today. We've been praying for you. And we're so glad you're here. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but the thing that's about the Grand Church Mountain Bill is we don't want you to just find a church home, but find a church. Um, so that, that's our big emphasis here. And every Sunday we're going to open up and get our minds right by getting into the Word. So this morning, we're going to start with Oh, Kyle, anyway. <laughs> First Corinthians 1, if you have your Bible or Bible app. Is he wearing a dress? Someone tell me. Is that a dress or is that like a hipster thing? It will be at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. This is kind of our heart. It looks like a dress. It's a little bit Anyone? about dress? our team. Dress. There's no reason this should be. I've got a mute. He can't hear anything I'm saying. Um, we're a bunch of 18 to 20-somethings. Two fresh out of college graduates, and this guy, who's probably the most bodybuilder, <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, there's absolutely no reason other than the Lord that this should be happening. And so this kind of embodies that. So First Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, it says, "For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth." But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's all we're about. As a church, as a core team, and as you become part of our church family, just know this is a place you can be yourself and be a broken person. That's all we are. We're weak. And we know who we boast in, and that's going to be the Lord in every single thing we do. From today to our last day, it's going to be the Lord, and his name we proclaim. And so we're just glad y'all are here. Yeah. Man, keep doing cool. Yeah, for sure. So what you guys are seeing on the screen here, this is actually the Branch Church Dahlonega, University of North Georgia. This is our sit-in church. Cool. So we are the Branch Church. We're a part of the Branch Church Network, so we're not just a bunch of random guys coming down here on our own. We have a family and network of churches that have sent us. Uh, so I'll kick it over to Gabe um, if you want to uh, just, yeah. Whatever you want to say, man. Um, you're the one with the cooler beard. Yeah, well, you look like Jesus, yeah, so it's okay. Like <laughs> I'm just following him so closely, man. I'm just, I can't, yeah. I'm starting to look like him. Ooh, watch that blasphemeter. Okay. So, anyways, we are so excited for you guys. We just want to say, hey, um, support you guys. We love you. This is all the brand Stalonega. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're proud of you guys. Thank you for what you're doing, and we're excited to see all the work's going to do in Milledgeville. This is a huge day. So, Hey, Milledgeville. Yeah, I awesome. feel like we should do a Jesus chant, but we're not going to because that's like No. Okay. Yeah, that Jesus. would be cool. All right, man. Say, well, love you guys. I'm going to go preach. Love you guys. We'll see you soon. Uh, so I know that might not mean anything to you, but for like if you've been part of the branch for a season, that just meant the world to us. Um, this was probably, if not, it, it is the biggest day of the branch church history to see a standing room only crowd at a church that, that yeah, oh man. So let me do this before I, I get all emotional. I'm not an emotional guy, but let me pray for those guys if you join me in that, and then we will jump into the sermon. Uh, Father, thank you for what you're doing. God, you build your kingdom, not us. Father, we just took a little step of obedience in, in trying to plant churches that plant churches, but, but God, we know that you're the one that brings the growth. It's not us. Father, you are responsible for all that's going to take place in that room and in this room. There's no strategy. There's no plan. Father, we are just trusting in you <coughs> as a sovereign God to do what you do. So, Father, we, we don't want to stop for a second and praise ourselves or anything we've done, Father, but, but let all the glory and the honor come to you because you're the one that's done this. It's your name we pray. Amen. Man, so thank you guys. Y'all just saw a little bit of branch history. But so, so here's what I know to kind of to, to shift into what we know as a church. Here's one thing I know. I don't know a ton, uh, but raise your hand if this is your first time coming to the branch. All right. So raise your hand if this isn't your first time coming to the branch. Cool. We don't have much in common, but I know we have this in common. Has anyone else used a word or a phrase that you actually didn't know what it meant and just tried to fit in, right? Anyone? Okay. Um, so anyone, Ron Burgundy, does that name ring a bell? All right. When in Rome, right? Or my brother used to always use this phrase, touche, at the exact wrong time. But my favorite story of this, and this is... Um, Welcome to the branch. If this gets inappropriate, this is what we do. Um, so one of my friends growing up was over in England preaching to a bunch of schools and churches. And, and so he was making a joke. I think this is a room of fifth graders, sixth graders, uh, 200, 300, six for fifth or sixth graders, making a joke um, about carrying a fanny pack. 
um, that he looked like a tourist because he carried a fanny pack. Um, I think you've been to England. So the word fanny in Europe does not mean fanny pack. It is a really inappropriate word uh, explaining a part on a woman. So the entire fifth, sixth grade class erupts in laughter. He doesn't know what he said, so he's insecure. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So he just thinks, I'm going to keep joking around about fanny pack, um, and people are just going to keep laughing. It's going to be great. Well, a teacher in the front row, about the fifth or sixth time he said it, stood up and said, stop saying that word. You don't know what that means. Stop it. And then after he found out that what it actually means is a very inappropriate word in Europe and never use that word again. Say all that to say. Because of all the backgrounds that are coming in and where we are, when I use the word church, when we just say we planted the branch church Milledgeville, I am in no way assuming that we are all on the same page when I use the word church. I don't know your background. I don't know where you came from. Just curious, whoever's, who has met in a church inside of a gym like this? Okay, so two or three people. So most people would say we're a cult, we're not a church, because we don't own our own building. So, I mean, you guys got to look, think about what happened this week in Pennsylvania with the Catholic Church and the sex abuse that's taking place. So is that the same church that we're affiliated with? I mean, what is the church actually? And here's some statistics that will kind of blow your mind. Only 2 in 10 Americans under 30, raise your hand if you're under 30. Only 20% of you believe attending church is important, worthwhile. Only 20% of you guys, 2 out of 10, actually think going to church matters. 59% of millennials raised in church have dropped out. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church does more harm than it does good. Anti-church. So we're moving into a time as a country that we're not all hunky-dory, let's go to church and love each other. And there's not even that sense of, I think I should be involved in a church Right? There's, there's none of that. How many, just, be, we are a whole culture of honesty here. How many here this morning would raise your hand and say, I'm at church just because my parents made me go to church today? Okay, how many people need to con confess your sin because you're a liar? I know that there's some of you college students that are appeasing your parents by coming to a church, have no real, uh, no real effort to get involved in a church. But I'm glad you're here, and I'm praying that the Lord changes your mind. So what we want to do over the next couple weeks is to maybe clearly define what the word church means, what it looks like for us. I mean, here's a knee-jerk reaction that, that when something's not working, what do we typically do? We just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's start fresh. Let's start new. That's dumb. We can do it better. Millennials, look at me. That's our mindset. Don't look at me like that. I am a millennial. Stop judging. Uh, I'm 31. I'm part of you guys, kind of. Um, but that's our mindset, right? When something's not working, I can do it better. My parents are dumb. That generation's dumb. We can do it better. And honestly, as a church, we've been accused of that because of what we're trying to accomplish. We've been accused of, you're, just, you're millennials just trying to... <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, so let me introduce someone to you real quick. Uh, this is Ricky Bowers. Ricky does our social media. Uh, Ricky got fired last week in the service, and he just got fired again. So <laughs> don't even bother meeting Ricky because he's no longer on staff with us. But yeah, so what we're trying to do, and if you have your Bibles flipped to Acts 2, is we're trying to look at what actually is the old way of the church. We don't want to be innovative or creative or entrepreneurial or anything like that. If, if we're entrusted with planting the church in Delong, if we're entrusted with planting the branch church Milledgeville, if our job is to plant churches that plant churches, what is the church? What does it look like? What does it taste like? Um, how do we act then? And, and here's what I mean. 
Um, we, we're not trying to discount church history. There's been incredible things that have happened in every single decade between now and when the church was formed that we should learn and we should grow from. But Acts 2 is the very first official meeting of the church after Jesus has ascended into heaven. This is the church gathering. And so if we take cues from these guys, I think we'll be way better off. There's nothing wrong with my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation, grandparents, grandparents. There, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But I think the better model would be, what does the Bible say? How did, how did the church actually start? So uh, I'm going to use this whiteboard for a second. You're not in class, don't worry. Uh, but we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and see what it looks like and then maybe tease it out a little bit. So Acts 2, pick it up in verse 42. Acts 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 42. And they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread in the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we see when we first start out that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, so how we would summarize that very simply is that they were gospel-centered. So all they were doing centered around the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus had died, um, he was resurrected, now he's ascended at the Father. And what that meant was that Jesus has saved us from our sins. They devoted themselves to that teaching. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now this is something that we probably have not really experienced but when we talk about the definition of community, that is it. That is the epitome of community. That all who believed the gospel-centered community were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the pro proceeds to any who had need. So this community that was centered around the gospel were now living on mission. They had no qualms about getting rid of everything they had in order to give things away. So when we see these three pillars that were formed within the, the church in Acts, this is what we take away, that they were gospel-centered, they were community, they were living on mission. And here's what took place, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, who doesn't want our life to count for something? I mean, who wouldn't want to see God do something within our midst that we can't explain, that we can't <clears throat> give a strategy to, or here's why this happened, other than God moved? I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of a revolution to see revival break out like we saw in the early church? That day by day, people were being added to their fellowship. That when Peter would preach, 5,000 men would be saved. That Paul could heal people just by his handkerchief. Who wouldn't want to see that take place? And so when we started to plant the Branch Church to long ago, we said, what, what pillars are we going to hang our hats on? And based on Acts, the old way, this is the conclusion that we came to. But here's what we realized. We can't focus solely on the gospel or what are we going to look like. A click, if we just sat around all day long and did nothing but study the Bible, did nothing else, we're just going to be a Christian click. It's going to be us four no more. Might as well go buy some land in North Alonega and have a commune together. Let's just stay together. But if we just focus on community, what's going to take place? We're going to forget about the gospel. 
We're going to forget why we do what we do. We're going to have great friendship, but that friendship is going to settle on nothing. And if we just focus on a mission, what's going to take place? We're going to be these guys that go fight, but for what? I heard a quote that people that just focus on the mission are just making earth a better place to go to hell from. So if we're not doing it with the intentions of the gospel, then, then what are we doing? So here's where we land. What we're trying to land as a branch church. We want to land right here. We want to be a perfect balance of gospel-centered community living on mission. We want to be a culmination of all three these things together. We feel like that's what the church in Acts was founded upon, and that's all that we're trying to accomplish. So what is the church? It's a gospel-centered community living on mission. So over the next three weeks, we're just going to take one of these circles and dissect it to figure out what that really looks like. And then week four, we're going to put them all together and just dream together what it would look like to be that kind of church. So let's start with gospel-centered. If you have your Bibles, flip over to John 14. We're going to see, a, this, is this, this is the main text we'll land in the next couple weeks. John 14, we'll, we'll start to tease out what does it really mean to be gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. So one of my reputations while you're flipping around here is that I have horrible handwriting. So I'm kind of proud of that. Can you all read that in the back? You're welcome. You are welcome. So John 14, we'll pick it up in verse 1. John 14, verse 1. We'll just work 1 through 9 this morning. We'll pick it up verse 10 next week. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I'm going, you may be there also. Verse 4. And you know the way that I'm, you know way I, where I'm going. So you can tell that what Jesus is saying, he's going up to his death. He know it's coming. So he's telling us, guys, listen, this is so long, this isn't goodbye. This is, I'll see you soon. This isn't our final goodbye. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come get you. I'm going to rescue you. It's okay. I've got to go. This is the gospel. I've got to die for your sins, but I'm coming back for you. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we, if you circle or underline, how can we know? Everything we do starts with knowledge. So Thomas is asking an almost valid question. How can we know the way? Verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So maybe a way to, to summarize that is how can we know that Jesus is the way? Well, Jesus is everything. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Does that leave any space for anything else? That he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. So what does it mean then to be gospel-centered? We have to believe that Jesus is everything. Well, how do we come to that belief that Jesus is everything? Everything begins with knowledge. So what does it mean then to be gospel-centered, to know that Jesus is everything, makes us gospel-centered? So how, what does this mean? What does this matter? Verse 7. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. From now on, 
you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. But verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Now this, this verse should start to haunt us a little bit. And we'll see another verse that should scare us to death. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, whoever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now listen, raise your hand if you grew up in the South. Here, here's the scary, here's the most terrifying thing. Community makes a lot of sense. Living on mission makes sense. But knowledge of Jesus is terrifying. I mean, there's, there's not many things that make me nervous to stand up and preach to you guys. But to know that Jesus is everything terrifies me because a lot of us know about, but not many have actually know. That we know about. Philip had walked with Jesus for three years, and he still missed it. That he knew everything. He knew Jesus' skin, his eye color. He knew if Jesus had bad breath. He knew what his hair looked like. He knew how grumpy Jesus was in the morning. Do you think Jesus was grumpy in the morning? I don't know. Probably not, but I mean, who knows? He knew everything about Jesus. But then what happens in verse 9? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? So, so there's this guy that I feel like I know pretty, pretty good. So let me, let me get, tell you some things about this guy that I know pretty well. And then I'm going to introduce you to him. Here's some of his quotes. We've hung out a lot. We spent a lot of late nights together. Um, see, see if you can peg this guy because he's, he's hilarious. Some of you might know him, some of you might not. But he just, he cracks me up. So one time we were talking about being superstitious. And he said, man, I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious. It's pretty funny, right? I'm like, man, you're, you're good. That's funny. One time he was telling me about prison. And he said that the scariest part about prison was the dementors. It's like, man, you haven't actually been to prison, have you? One time he stood up in front of his office um, because he didn't know how to do this. Someone told him he had to declare bankruptcy. So he stood in front of his office and screamed, I declare bankruptcy, thinking that that would actually fix it. One time he actually put his foot inside a uh, George Foreman grill on accident. What an idiot, right? Anyone know who I'm talking about? Michael Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Michael Scott. Who looked? Come on. <laughs> where, where do you think we are? We ain't, no, we ain't got no celebrities in our church. So I can tell you, listen, I've spent many of hours of my life wasted watching The Office. Do I know Michael Scott? No. I feel like I do. I feel like we'd be bros. I don't know Michael Scott. And he, but here's my fear. Many of you spent many of hours sitting in church and you don't know Jesus Christ at all. That we know about Jesus being everything, but to you, your motivation, when you go to bed at night, do you actually know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father, that no one can be saved, that no one loves God apart from Jesus Christ? Do we actually know that? Is that something that we really understand, that we cognitively say, yes, I, I get it, Jesus is everything apart from him, I can do nothing. Do we know it, or do we know about that? And John 17, or Matthew 7, excuse me, says it very clear that one day we will get to heaven and then I will declare, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And their question was, listen, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I go to church? Wasn't I part of the fellowship? And Jesus is going to go, listen, depart from me. I never knew you because you knew about me, but you didn't know me. 
Church, we have to wrestle with this. Do we know about him, but are we actually known by him? We might know a lot about him, but are we known by Jesus as his son or as his daughter? Because we cannot, for us, this is a very circular thing. We start with knowledge, we lead to community, we lead to mission, and then we start over again with the gospel. So we cannot move forward until we wrestle with, we dream out this idea, do we actually know Jesus Christ? So you might be asking yourself, okay, uh, help me with this. What does it mean? How do I understand if I actually know? So, so just think for a minute. Dream back to the moment, if you are a believer, to the moment of your salvation. When you were saved. Let's, let's talk about this moment for a, a few, few minutes. Because I've heard, I've heard two interviews this week that made me want to throw up. Welcome to the branch. Just made me sick to my stomach. Here's the first one. Um, a guy named Larry Crabb was talking about, y'all, anyone ever heard of Larry Crabb? You should. It's pretty cool. Talking about his salvation experience. And here's what he explained. He was a seven-year-old at a camp sitting around with his camp counselor at a fire. And the counselor said, boys, I want everyone to look in that fire. You want to die and burn forever? Say this prayer. What? That is how we come to grips that Jesus is everything? Is do we want to burn forever? Are you kidding me? That is not the epitome of the gospel. That is not what it means to believe that Jesus is everything. That is not to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is a fear-mongering, crap outline of the gospel that should be thrown away. But if we're honest, most of us have probably experienced something similar. Or here's another one. Um, Phil Robertson, Duck Dynasty. So listen to his conversion story. He was in some real bad stuff. Came to the pastor. Hey, pastor, what does it mean for me to be saved? The pastor said, well, let's say this prayer and try to be good. Are you kidding me? Say this prayer and try to be good? So, so let me go down the road of church history real fast. Now, when the Bible was first being formed, when canonization of Scripture took place, they would come together in these huge meetings, these huge assemblies, to figure out and argue Scripture to make sure that everyone was on the same page. There's this guy named Pelagius that tried to come in and say, listen, there's enough good inside of you that you can save yourself. That there's enough inerrant good inside of you as a human being that if you work hard enough, you can save yourself. Do you know what happened to Pelagius? He got thrown out of Rome. Everyone said, you're crazy. There's no way when you study scripture that you can come to the conclusion that I am the way, the truth, and the life, except if you're good enough, you can get into heaven. But somehow, as especially in the South, we've gone to this point where what does it mean to believe that Jesus is everything? Just be good. Just try really hard not to sin. Don't watch rated R movies. Quit cussing. Don't drink. You can make up your own Christian cut words, cuss words. That's fine. Just take them bad cuss words and then just kind of spin them around a little bit so they're not actually bad. You can do that, but don't really say a cuss word. Just be good. Is that really what it means that Jesus is everything? Is we have to live a good life. Because if we could, then why would Jesus have died? And Paul outlines this perfect for us. If salvation was something that we could earn, then wouldn't Jesus' death on the cross be for nothing? So you're telling me that Jesus picked up that cross, went, was brutally tortured for hours on the off chance that maybe some of us actually needed him, but the majority of us didn't. So as we go back to the moment of our salvation for us, let me ask you this. What was the motivation for salvation? Here's how we can really start to tease, it out, tease out this idea. Do we actually know 
that Jesus is everything? Do we actually have a knowledge of that? The first thing I would say, what was your motivation for salvation? Was it out of the overflow of the knowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or were you like Larry Crabb? Hey, I don't, I don't want to go to hell, so what do I need to do to get saved? Did the knowledge of Jesus lead you to salvation, or did your own selfish motivation lead you to salvation? Do you know why I got saved when I was eight? Because my brother got to swim in church. He was baptized. He got to swim in church, and I said, what do I need to say to get into that pool? Well, son, just say this prayer. Sweet. And I rebelled like crazy through high school because I did not know Jesus. I knew enough about Jesus to think I was a Christian, but I did not know Jesus. And here's my fear. And I, I know, like, man, pastor, this is the first time at the branch. You're kind of, uh, you're a little aggressive. Welcome to the branch. I cannot sit here and teach the knowledge of God and assume that every single one of you are saved. Do you know what scripture says about me? That teachers and preachers will be judged more harshly than you guys will. So I have to lay it out for you guys. As we're explaining what the church is to know that Jesus is everything, that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Do you know that? Does it start to change how you think and act and behave? Is it something that you wrestle with? Or is it a point-back decision when you were seven because the pastor scared you? Because he preached this really convincing message on the wheat and the chaff, and that scared the mess out of you, and you don't want to go to hell. What is it? What was your motivation for coming to the knowledge that Jesus is everything? Now, here's what we believe at the branch, that knowledge starts with the word of God. We hold this very firmly here, that everything, all the knowledge that we can obtain from and about Jesus Christ starts first in the scripture. So, so we're, we're really simple here. There's three things that we do. We do the Sunday gathering once a week, 10 o'clock. Uh, starting in September, we'll launch our missional communities that meet um, throughout the week on a weeknight. And then we have these things called DNAs that birth out of those. So those are three guys or three girls that meet every single week for prayer, accountability, and studying scripture. So here's what I can promise you. Here's what I know, how we shift from knowing that Jesus is everything into community. Within Sunday gatherings, you're not going to come here a single Sunday morning without hearing the gospel taught. In missional community, you're going to discuss scriptures together. And within DNAs, you're going to read scripture together every single week. Because all of our knowledge comes first from the Bible. That's what it means for us to recognize and to internalize the gospel. Because listen, the gospel is a word. Gospel-centered is a word, and it starts with the word. So, so let me maybe close with this. Here's what I can promise you guys. Because listen, there are some great churches in Delanaga. Come talk to me after. I can get you. I, my desire is the local church. Uh, we've given our lives to plant the local church. We long that you get involved with the local church. And it does not have to be us. There are other incredible local churches here. I want you to get involved with one of them. And we can talk about that after. But here's my promise to you. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that they give the leadership of the church one role to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So the leadership of the church, the apostle, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are given to equip the saints. Raise your hand if you're a believer. 
You are a saint. Our job is not to do this for you, but is equip you to do it. And we understand this. I mean, this is kind of a weird principle within search. Um, a lot of times people will say, man, just let the pastor do it. The, the pastor gets paid to do this stuff. Yeah, I get paid millions. My jet's parked out back. You can ride with me later if you want to. Right? I mean, we, the pastor gets paid. Just let the pastor do it. But we don't do that in any other arena of life. Do we? I mean, when you guys are going to start class tomorrow, who's ready? When you guys start class tomorrow, you're not going to go, listen, teacher, I'm paying your salary. Just do this for me and let me know when I'm done. We don't go into the gym and get an athletic trainer and say, hey, you work out for me. Let me know when you're done, and I'll check myself out. No, this is the same principle within the church. We're equipping you. So here's what I can promise. Here's how this starts. We are going to equip you to know that Jesus is everything. And when that takes place, you're living a gospel-centered life. This is what this means for us at the Branch Church. To equip you to know that Jesus is everything. And that will, that will cause you to live a gospel-centered life. That's what it means for us at the Branch. That's where everything begins. But here's where we just have to land the plane. There's something maybe a little different about us than, than the church you grew up at. We end every time of preaching, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me again, <coughs> let's go. We end every gathering at the branch a very simple way. We take communion together. You guys probably saw on both sides of the room we have the communion table set up. Here's what this means for us. When we take communion together, Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of him to remember all that he has done for us and he's about to do for us because he's telling these guys this before he goes to the cross. And here's what he said. This is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood that will be spilt out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we stop every Sunday to commemorate that moment of Jesus in the upper room. Why? To remind ourselves that Jesus is everything. I mean, j let's just be honest. Who's anxious about school starting tomorrow? Okay. Who's anxious about when your next paycheck's going to come? Who's anxious about filling the blanks? When we take communion, we are remembering and we are celebrating that Jesus is there and he's taking care of it because he is our everything. So communion for us is not some this thing that we just, oh yeah, let's go do this. It is a memorizing of the fact that Jesus is in fact the way, he is in fact the truth, he is the life, and we should have no worries or fears. If we believe Jesus is everything, then everything else is nothing. So don't be anxious about class tomorrow. Don't be anxious about your next paycheck. Don't be anxious about what you'll wear or what you'll eat or your drink, because Matthew 6, 25, 34 says it clearly that Jesus takes care of all of that if we actually know that Jesus is everything. But, but here's the rub. Some of us might be tempted to take communion when we don't know that. We know about the fact that Jesus might be everything, that he might be able to handle this. 1 Corinthians, when it talks about communion and taking the Lord's Supper, it says, if you're not a believer, don't do this because you're going to drink judgment upon yourself. This time for us is a time that as believers we get to remember that Jesus is everything. We get to soak it in. So we have a full loaf of bread so that we literally have to rip it. 
This is Jesus' body broken for us. We dip it into the juice. This is Jesus' blood spilled out for us because we believe that Jesus is everything. So as we take communion this morning, I I want you to wrestle. Do you know Jesus? Or do you know about Jesus? Do you know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that your life is different now because of this knowledge of Jesus is everything? Or do you just have a conceptual knowledge? Is it your faith or is it your parents' faith? Did you go to church growing up because you felt like you had to, because you longed for the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus is everything? So Jeremy, one of our elders, will be standing over there. Rob, another of our elders, will be standing at this table. If you just need someone to pray with, to consider this truth with, man, please come grab one of them and pray with them. Um, Sydney will also be back at this table. If, if you're a lady, you feel more comfortable talking to Sydney, Sydney will be over here with a glove to pray with you. But we have to consider this. Do we know that Jesus is everything or do we know about Jesus? So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we know what you've done for us. There's not a single one of us in this room that don't have some form of knowledge about you and your life and your death and your resurrection. But Jesus, I know you're speaking to hearts right now. Father, there are some of us in this room that have a healthy knowledge about Jesus Christ, but our motivation for salvation was a selfish motivation. We didn't want to go to hell. We were in a bind and needed help. We were using you for your insurance, not your life. So, Father, what are you speaking to us this morning? Spirit, speak. What do we know you? Or do we know about you? Because you are everything. If there's any ounce of truth, you are that truth. If there's any way to heaven, you are that way. If there's any way to true life, you are that life. John 10.10 tells us the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you have came to give us life to the full. The Father, if we're pretending in this room, we're missing out on true, authentic life with you. God, would we move from knowing about you to knowing you? Would we live a life where everything is about you? Well, we can't make a decision. We can't think through anything without going, man, what does this mean to be gospel-centered in this situation? What would Jesus do in this situation? And let me walk in that truth. Let me walk in that obedience. So my question is, church, do we know or know about Jesus Christ?
And as we take communion this morning, let us sit in that. Let us remember that. So as we sit in this silence, as we get to think and meditate on this truth, that do we know about you or do we know you? Jesus, when, when we're ready, church, communion will be open on both sides of the room. Go take it when you're ready. But if you need to pray, our elders are around. If you need to sit and consider and ponder, man, feel free as long as you need to. And when you're ready, we will continue in worship. Jesus, you are our everything. We love you, but thank you so much for first loving us. Our love for you means nothing in comparison to your love and your sacrifice you've made for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.